special guest this week is former Ambassador Crispin Gregoire. And of course, I am your host, Thompson Fontaine. Ambassador Gregoire served as Dominica's U.S. UN Ambassador from 2002 to 2010. He also served in Dominica for several years as Director of Save the Children in the 1980s with a big focus on the Carib people. Ambassador Gregoire was, is also the founder of the La Chelle Youth Group, together with former Prime Minister Pierre Charles in the 1970s. Those two were instrumental in forming this group, the La Chelle Youth Group, that formed the basis of the labor movement in that uh, southern village of Grand Bay. Also, and importantly, Ambassador Gregoire was the student leader at, of the anti-apartheid movement. And what's important about this is that this anti-apartheid movement that Ambassador Gregoire helped form at Columbia University in 1978 was the spark for the protests across the United States. And that obviously contributed in a great way to the U.S. changing its policy on apartheid. And of course, his work in Africa with the Ford Foundation Importantly as well, Ambassador Gregor was the architect of the Labour Party campaign in 2000 and 2005 in Dominica, having served as the campaign manager for both of those successful campaigns in 2000 and again in 2005. And more recently, Ambassador Gregor is actually involved in, in playing a, a role in the... Um, the international UN International Day of Remembrance of the Victims of Slavery and Transatlantic Slave Trade. And we'll be talking to him about that. It's a very important initiative that Ambassador Gregoire helped start was Ambassador at the United Nations. So we'll be also be talking about that as well as we move forward with our discussion before discussion tonight. So, Ambassador Gregoire, um, it's quite a mouthful there, but let me say a very special welcome to you and thank you for joining us tonight. Yes, uh, thank you, Dr. Fontaine, and I, I really appreciate this opportunity to speak to your um, radio, uh, the .net radio and to your um, audience across the, across the world, in Dominica, in the United States, in the UK, wherever you are in the international community listening to Dominican.net radio and is carried also by Q95 radio in Dominica. I'm pleased to be here tonight. Well, it's certainly great to have you um, join us tonight and we're certainly looking forward to a great evening of discussion. Certainly looking forward to having a great discussion there this evening. Um, Ambassador Gregoire, it's important um, as one of the things that we wanted to focus on this evening is the whole question of of um, the impact of climate change in Dominica. And I know that with your work at the United Nations, you played a, a very critical role in that aspect, um, the impact of climate change. And there are lots of people who might think that that is not really pertinent to Dominica. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you think the impact of climate change is on Dominica, what it has been so far, and what you foresee that um, going into the future? Yes. Well, you know, um, Dr. Fontaine, um, as, uh, as is well known by most people, that climate change is one of the greatest threats to our planet and its people. And um, 
this issue of climate change is basically um, a, a significant and, um, and lasting change in the weather patterns. And this, this happens over long periods. We're talking about from decades to millions of years, we see changes in the weather. Now, some people might say, well, this is not new. This is something that happens at different points in the in history of man. The question really now is, is it because of human action that we are seeing this, this dangerous, quick, rapid change in, 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 in the weather and the climate? Um, just for a little background, I need to say that the, the decade from 2000 to 2009 has been recorded as the warmest, the warmest decade on, um, on record since they started um, keeping records from 1850. Um, when scientists began to keep records of the of the um, of the weather patterns and the climate, and they begin to see that that decade was the warmest ever since 1850, and and more importantly, that 2009, the year 2009, was recorded as the second warmest year since 1850. So you can see that this situation is having an impact on the weather. Um, and the climate. And whether you are in Dominica, whether you're in the United States, whether you're in the UK, it's a global phenomenon. Every country in the world is affected, and Dominica is no exception. Um, I could speak a lot about what's happening around the world, but I want to keep it focused on Dominica because climate change is occurring, and we are seeing it in, in I would say, four areas. One of them is with regards to storms and hurricanes. Uh, because of the warming of the atmosphere, the, the oceans have gotten warmer. And because of the, the, the oceans getting warmer, they, it leads to changes in the activity of hurricanes. So the warmer the ocean, the surface of the ocean, the hurricanes thrive very much, and they actually, we, we get more devastating hurricanes the warmer the surface of the ocean is. And that is why now we are seeing more Category 3 hurricanes, Category 4 and Category 5 hurricanes. So, hurricanes so you are saying that conclusively that it is because of uh, climate change that we are having those types of, of situations that we are having? I think certainly because, you know, clearly the warming of the oceans is, is one of the direct um, outcomes of the climate change that is occurring. So more devastating hurricanes is a product of a warmer ocean surface. And also, so, so that, mm -hmm. yeah. yes, uh, yes, Ambassador, I wanted to also relate it to what we saw, in fact, September, September 25th or thereabouts last year we saw a very severe flood in, in Dominica and the amount of rain that, that, that fell within a, a very short space of time. And you think that all of these, based on the research that has been done, that all of these are in fact related and could be linked to that phenomenon that we refer to as, uh, as climate change? Yes, certainly. I was coming to that issue, the second arena, which would be droughts and floods. We are seeing longer spells of drought, what used to be in Dominica, what we call CAWEM, the, the early part of the year from January to around May, we're seeing that stretch into June, July. So, so we have longer period of drought. 
and then and then when the rainy season comes, we have heavier periods of rain. So last year, Dominica, for example, had a lot of rain, and we saw what happened in Maho and Masak and the other villages that had um, major floods. And that puts low-lying coastal areas um, uh, at, under threat because, you know, we sometimes think, well, hurricanes are bad, but floods are equally bad. Um, when, when the place is underwater, you can't function. Um, so that is one, another one. Then we have coral bleaching. You know, our fish comes from the coral reefs, and Dominica has beautiful coral reefs. People come to dive in them. But these coral reefs could be under threat, again, from the, the acid. You know, the warming of the ocean generates acid, and that puts stress on the coral reefs, and that can affect how much fish we, we're able to harvest. Um, so we end up having what's called coral bleaching, and, and the, 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 the coral reefs can get destroyed. And it's interesting and that you, you mentioned the Coral Reef Ambassador because, you know, we were just uh, talking recently about this discovery that was made on the Coral Reefs of Dominica where they found a plant that actually holds the cure to um, prostate cancer, first stage prostate cancer. So it's important that, you know, we maintain, obviously, we maintain the integrity of those corals because, you know, there could be other cures out there and, and it's important that this be not destroyed. Yeah, well, that one is, is a difficult one to deal with because um, we are not able to fight the, the, the warming of the ocean. And um, unless there was a drastic cut in, in, in what's called emissions so that we can now bring down the, the temperature of the, of, the, of the warming that's occurring in the ocean. And that is why, you know, the island states, the, the, the alliance of small island states, which I worked very closely with in the climate change negotiations, we were saying we need to keep the temperature not to, not to get higher than 1.5 degrees centigrade. Um, because if it goes higher than that, let's say it goes to 2 degrees, then it's going to destroy the um, ocean uh, marine life. And, um, and cause a whole range of other problems across the world. And I should also mention a fourth arena, which is sea level rise, that the, the, the warming that's occurring in the world is now melting the, the, the ice, the Arctic zone, the zones where you have ice, so where you have glaciers, for example, that's melting, and it's now increasing the amount of water in the ocean, so the oceans are rising. And, and that's a serious problem. And on the one hand, when um, these glaciers are, are, are melting, and I'm sure you people are seeing that on TV, um, the, the people who depend on those places for water to drink may not have water in the next 20 years. You know? so, and what that happened to us on the other end is that we, the oceans are now swelling, and that's causing the ocean to rise. So the people who live along the ocean, along the coast, they are now under threat. And when we have a hurricane with a storm surge, you have high waves that can threaten whole communities. That's very interesting, Ambassador, because part of the research that I have been seeing, in fact, is, is just what you mentioned, the, the impact that it could have on coastal areas with the rising sea levels and, and it could actually lead to the wiping off of, of whole villages in some in some in some countries. Yes, absolutely. And you know in, in the Caribbean most people are located 
along the coast or about a mile inland from the coast. And um, if it's a low-lying area, when you take places like Kulibistri, for example, or Soufrière, um, Maho, Massac, Portersville, that whole area, that whole West Coast presents some real concerns and, and challenges for the future. Okay, um, in case you're just joining us, and some of you are just joining us um, via Q95 in Dominica, let me say a very special welcome to you. And to let you know that our special guest on this week in interview tonight is uh, former Ambassador, UN Ambassador Crispin Gregoire, who spent quite a lot of his time, in fact, dealing with those issues on behalf of Dominica and small developing countries. And we were just discussing a little bit about the impact of climate change. And we want to kind of segue a little bit, Ambassador, into another area of much concern to Dominica, and it has to do with, with the high costs of energy and the fact that Dominica is positioned as a nature isle, but we've not been able as yet to take full advantage of all of what God has granted to us with regards to our geothermal, with regards to wind and so on. But I wanted to kind of set the, the stage a little bit and tell us uh, something about the energy use in Dominica. I know that you've been involved in uh, um, doing some of the of the pioneering work as far as uh, documenting the cost of energy in Dominica and what can be done about it. So probably you can just kind of set this the stage and, and give us some some indication because there there is something that I was reading. In fact, one of the documents that I saw where it indicated that interestingly in Dominica that the level of hydropower that has been used to generate energy has in fact gone up, gone down rather, from about 8% in uh, 2000 to about 3%, you know, around 3%. And at the same time, diesel fuel has been going through the roof. Um, so you probably want to just give our listeners some background on this as it relates to the high energy cost and, of course, tie that to the whole issue of what we're talking about, climate change and the impact. Yes. Well, you know, the, 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 the direct relationship between climate change and energy is, is, is very critical because um, many countries are now recognizing that the way they generate electricity, whether it's from diesel, whether it's from um, coal, is no longer sustainable and is bad for the environment. Uh, in Dominica, we, our electricity generation in the 80s and, and even in the 70s was more on the hydro, hydropower. Um, but in the, in the last 20 years, we've made a shift, which I think is a dangerous shift, away from um, hydro and, uh, to, to diesel. So here we are in, in uh, let's take a, a, a data from 2008. It might even be worse than, than that now that 57% of our electricity is generated by diesel, and um, hydro, only, hydro only contributes 3.7% uh, of that energy supply. Uh, and, and what was astounding to me is that um, from, 2000, uh, from 2000 to 2008, our hydro, as you mentioned, has declined from a high of 8.5% generation to 3.7%. Now, um, you know, Prime Minister um, Pierre Charles, when he when when he was um, at the helm of our affairs, 
he gave a very important speech in, in South Africa at the World Summit on Sustainable Development, saying that, uh, that it was his government's view, vision to um, have Dominica move completely away from oil as uh, the basis for electric generation to one that would be based on renewable energy. And he was thinking there of um, ensuring that we maintain the hydro we have and even increase it. Look at um, at wind, look at solar, look at geothermal, and the total mix of that would allow us to have 100% generation of our electricity by renewable sources. So we would end our dependence on diesel and oil for electricity. And that that would have been great because, you know, when we generate electricity using um, diesel, we put a lot of um, pollution in the atmosphere. And it's bad for our, our, our country as a nature island. So the, the sooner we can get off oil to generate our electricity, the, the, better, the better we will be as a country. We will save money because we won't be exporting money to other countries for um, buying diesel. Dominica is the country that is in the Caribbean that's most endowed with nat- natural energy. We have, we have water for hydropower, we have wind, we have solar. Um, uh, geothermal, we of course. We also have geothermal, which will be the largest source. And we also have ocean currents, because you can also use wave action to have... To have um, and there's a technology that the Japanese developed called OTEC, which, where you can use um, water from the, from the sea to generate power. So, um, so, so um, um, of, Ambassador Gregor, yeah. I, I can clearly see a place or a role where, where Dominica could, in fact, be the probably the first country in the world to go completely, um, you know, fossil-free and and have somehow utilize either all or some of these energy sources to put a completely green country in place. Well, that certainly was Pierre Charles' vision, and he laid it out at the World Summit on Sustainable Development. And I'm, I'm telling you that um, people were in awe of what he had, he had um, laid out, and they were looking to see um, how Dominica would achieve that. Well, we have not yet, um, we're still far from that. I think that dream is still there, and I, and I have to um, commend the government for continuing Pierre Charles' vision, and, and now we see we are very far along in the geothermal um, exploration. But It's I think important that, that you, you, you mentioned geothermal, Ambassador, and um, probably it's good to, to kind of give our listeners a sense, uh, because there are some people who think that not enough has been done um, with regards to the geothermal, that is a bit slow, but you probably want to go back a little bit and give us some kind of background. I know a lot of that was started during the Pierre Charles administration, and you probably want to yes. give us some, some insight since you worked very closely at the very beginning to give us some sense as to, you know, the, the road that we've traveled up to this point. Yes. Well, you know, um, when, when Pierre Charles decided he wanted to pursue this, he, he asked me whether I would be willing to facilitate this, um, this initiative that was in 2001. That was before I became the ambassador to the U.N., and I, I first um, proceeded, you know, people say that these things have been taking a long time. Yes, it has been taking a long time, but in a situation when, where the country has no resources to spend on this, um, we've had to go via the route of finding grants 
to do the initial um, development exploration. Uh, so the first, we, we put together a consortium of non-governmental organizations working with the Organization of American States and the World Bank, and we were able to get the first grant from the Global Environment Facility, and that grant of $750,000 um, was what we used to do the very first stage of studies. And it wasn't just Dominica. It was um, Dominica, St. Lucia, and, and St. Kitts Nevis. And that, that first grant was to enable us to do some geological um, assessment in the Wharton Wave area um, to also start work on a, a renewable energy development plan for each of the islands and then some specific legislation. And in the case of Dominica, we focused on a geothermal law, which was developed, but now it, up to this point, it has never been brought to parliament. So, so that was the first phase. Then the first phase um, dovetailed into a second phase, which started around 2006. And I remember, you know, um, some people have accused me of doing pet projects at the UN. I know Dr. Philbert Aaron wrote some nonsense about um, pet. I was doing pet projects at the UN. But one of the most significant projects I did at the UN was to raise 5.5 million euros for this phase of work that's going on right now. It's coming to its to its end at Wharton Waven. Um, that was funded by the European Union, the French Fund for Environment in in Paris, and the French government, um, Agence France pour le Développement. And I was the broker of this of this funding. So um, we, we now launched the second phase. Um, at the time, Minister Reginald Austri was the minister responsible, and he and I worked very closely on this, along with Mr. Eddie Lambert, who was um, uh, the, the European Union um, focal point in Dominica. And we, we secured this funding. So then we are now at the stage of drilling, and I know that the gov central government has secured additional resources to continue it because the drilling the drilling is um, brought on additional costs and um, I think we're making some progress and I, I agree it's been a bit slow and I think maybe sometimes the consultants um, slow down our plans but nonetheless it's on course uh, but we still have some yards to go we, we, we're not there yet we, we are still far from plant development it's only after we complete the drilling we will know where exactly we will locate plants. But I want to say to the Dominican people that we have an excellent resource. Um, Dominica has eight active volcanoes. And each volcano um, potentially can give us about 200 megawatts of power, which is a lot for each one, because Dominica right now only has less than 20, 20 megawatts. We, we're not a big country. We don't have a big population. But if you think of our neighbors, Guadeloupe and Martinique, each of them use 400 megawatts. So that's 800 megawatts, and Dominica is sitting in the middle. So we came up with this idea back then in, in 2000 and, um, 2003 that we would interconnect Dominica to Guadeloupe and Martinique. So we would be able to sell to them our, our electricity. So we would become, in the future, uh, 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 energy producing country um, that would be our oil and we would now export that to our two neighbors
I I just want to say that that vision is 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 a good vision. It's viable, but it it will come with with cost, significant cost um, profile, and that we don't have. So it means that we have to secure investment from from other other countries to be able to develop the geothermal. Um, we can build. I think Dominica could one one geothermal plant of 20 megawatts would, would meet Dominica's need for a long time. Yes, along I, with the hydro we have. Hydro, absolutely, and and that is something that I I you know I'm waiting with bated breath because I think that that could certainly have a lot of of, of benefits, um, bring a lot of benefits to Dominica. But I wanted to ask the question though, Ambassador, because it seems to me that. Part of what I think or what I have I've been hearing that some people are in fact saying is that one of, one of the reasons why we have not been able to to move um, quickly on the hydro, not on the hydro rather, but on the geothermal is because we have become kind of emboldened or we, we have been kind of spoiled, if you like, by cheap um, power or cheap gas from Venezuela. And that has kind of contributed to the issue. Well, I think that um, we have gotten somewhat um, uh, comfortable on on Petro Carib because we are getting um, we are getting the um, uh, petroleum products at probably a subsidized um, price. You are listening here to the Dominican.net radio, and this week in interview, our special guest this evening is Ambassador Crispin Gregoire. We seem to have lost him for a little bit there, but we will take a brief break. Of course, we will allow our listeners, we'll give our listeners an opportunity to send their questions to Ambassador Gregoire. You've we'll reached Crispin and Elvira Gregoire. Please leave we'll a message. We'll open up the lines a little bit um, later, of course, uh, to allow our listeners uh, to, in fact, call in. So we'll, we'll take a, a very quick uh, break and we'll be right back with Ambassador Gregoire. The hard-hitting Caribbean drama Mandos Lai moves to Stafford, Texas for one live showing on March 31, 2012 at the Stafford Civic Center on 1415 Constitution Avenue, Stafford, Texas, 7747. Mandos Lai, a comedy by Alex Bruno with an all-Caribbean cast plus a cultural expo featuring Kubuli dancers. Stafford, Texas, March 31, 2012 at 8 p.m. Call 832-419-9442 or 561-577-6742 for tickets and more information. $25 in advance, 40 at the door. Get ready for Mandos Live in Texas. Messiah, it's not going to be easy. Okay, we are back live here. With, um, Ambassador Gregoire is back with us. And Ambassador, just before you, we lost you there for a little bit, we were talking about um, the whole issue of Petrocarib and the fact that one of the issues that I, I think, one of the problems I think I see with that arrangement is uh, the fact that we are in fact incurring an incredible level of debt that has been forced upon future generations. What are, what are your views on this? 
Well, I think that we um, you know, we have to be a little careful that we don't become eternal, eternally dependent on, on Petrocarib for energy future because we will not get out of dependence on oil. And if we want to have to be known as the nature island of the Caribbean, we will have to get off oil for electric generation. And in time, to get off oil for electricity, for um, transport, but that is a different matter for now. But with the, with the moving towards electric vehicles, futuristically, that's what I see. When we have cheap electricity, we'll have, we will have electric vehicles in the future. But that's maybe 20 years down the road. But I would say that um, we should not get complacent and remain dependent on, on, on oil. We must move quickly to get off oil. What I'm not happy about is that we have not made much effort to build or to increase our renewable energy um, sources. So you see hydro has been declining and now almost all our electricity is generated by diesel. We need to turn that around. And I don't think that we should be waiting just for geothermal. We should be doing wind and we should be, we have enough water going to the sea every day that we could have small hydro plants around the country and hook it up to the grid. So we should have windmills up generating electricity. We should now encourage people to have solar panels on their roof for for, to generate their electricity. The world is changing where we don't have to depend on just Domlek to um, provide us with, with um, electric power. People can generate their own power and and I think government did something remarkable. They they deregulated um, the act that gave Domlek a monopoly as the only so it allows for independent power producers. So people if you live along a river you could put a small turbine there and hand and create your own electricity. Similarly, you could put up a windmill and give power to your house. You could put a solar panel on your roof and give yourself electric, electric um, lighting. And just like people have um, solar water heaters, we can have additional panels to give you power. So what I'm saying is that we have to make a conscious effort to get off oil, and I don't want us to become complacent and remain dependent on petrocarib. All right. Um, you're listening there to This Week in Interview. Our special guest this week is Ambassador Crispin Gregoire, former UN Ambassador Gregoire, and he'll be with us for the entire hour as we continue to discuss this very critical issue an issue critical to Dominica. Of course, we will give our listeners an opportunity a little later on to call in their questions to Ambassador Ambassador Gregoire. Of course, we get an opportunity to interact with him. And let me just say that there are several ways in which you can actually do that. There are several ways in which you can um, contact us tonight. If you're calling in from Dominica, we have a number especially for you, the number. I just wanted you to take note of this. The number is 442-1211. That's 
0911. If you are calling long distance, you can reach us at 202-525-7231. That's 202-525-7231. And you can send us an email, radio at the dominican.net. And also, if you are on the internet, you can visit our chat room at the dominican.net. And you can reach us that way as well with your questions to Ambassador Gregor. Ambassador Gregor, of course, um, served as the chairman of the Dominica Labour Party re-election campaign in both 2000 and 2005. He's an anti-apartheid student leader here in the United States at Columbia University. Actually started a lot of what we see. And a little later on, we'll be talking to him about his involvement in getting an International Day of Remembrance for the victims of slavery and the transatlantic trade to bring that up to the UN, he along with the ambassador for Jamaica, the two spearheaded the efforts there. And I'm being told that on March 23rd, March 25th rather, we'll celebrate the first, that will be celebrated for the first time ever. But we'll talk a little more about that in a little bit. Um, but we wanted to just kind of stick for the time being, ambassador. Yes. I wanted to, I wanted, before we lost that point that you raised, I, I wanted to address the debt related to Petro Carib. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I am learning that um, for the countries that signed the Petro-Carib Agreement in mid-2005 to the end of 2007, the debt, the debt um, to Venezuela from those countries stood at the U.S. $1.1 billion. That's the Petro-Carib um, 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 countries, right? Now... I, I, I must say that I, I, I would be the first to express the appreciation of um, President Chavez and the, the, the initiative he has done to help our countries. However, we must not lose sight of the fact that, that oil is bad for, uh, for our atmosphere. And, um, and in particular, the Venezuelan crude oil has a high sulfur content, and that creates a certain amount of pollution more than the light crude. The second thing is that, related to this issue of debt, I, I, I have some real concerns about pushing debt to future generations, because what is happening here is we're paying for 60% of the, of the um, oil we import, and the 40% which we should be paying is now given to us as a loan. And that money now, what we are doing with it, we're using it for social development. Now, that's fine, but, you know, really, we are pu what we're doing is we're creating debt for the future generations to come. And I feel that we should, what we should be doing, we should own up and be responsible and not do that or, or, or seek to reduce that and, and, and say, we don't want to be importing so much oil anymore, that we should make a conscious effort to get off oil by a certain percentage. So if we say by 2018, we would have reduced our oil consumption to this by, by 10% or whatever. But I don't see any movement in that direction. I see us moving more and more comfortable on oil. And I think that's serious. And the price of oil keeps going up and up, and we are creating all this debt, which, you know, it's not clear to me how much we really owe. Yes, and I think that must be a worrying thing for all of us uh, Dominicans, certainly. And um, like you said, it, it's kind of, of interesting that in a year 
you know, in 2012, the year in which um, uh, former Prime Minister Pierre Charles had the vision that by now we would have already um, made that transition. But as you said, we seem to be going in the opposite direction. And I think it's time that um, our policymakers begin to think strategically along the lines of, as you said, winning us off gradually over time, have a five-year or ten-year plan and says, well, by 2014 we'll reduce our our de 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 dependence on oil by 10% and then do it gradually over time. But at least let us begin to have that kind of, of talk, that kind of, of generation in Dominica. And I would hasten to add that we must not just put everything in the basket of geothermal because geothermal de development might be elusive. It might take us a few more years when we should also be looking at wind. And, you know, I was very disappointed that there was a viable wind project which um, Washway Douglas had developed for Woodford Hill, and he didn't get the support that he should have gotten, and, and consequently that idea of a wind farm never, never happened. We must look at a mix of sources. So I'm saying hydro, we, we try to expand hydro because we have too much water going to the sea, and, and Dominica is a mountainous country, so building hydro, small hydro plants, should not be a big challenge. And um, secondly, we need to have wind, and we need to have solar, and then we, we, we should look at um, ocean, ocean thermal current. All of these things would give us a mix to allow us to reach a significant reduction on oil. You are listening to TDN Radio. Our special guest on this weekend interview is Ambassador Crispin Gregoire. Right on cue. 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 All right, um, Ambassador Gregoire, what we will do, we can open up the lines at this time for anybody wanting to, to reach out and, and ask um, any questions to former Ambassador Ambassador Gregoire. Of course, the, the, the numbers again, if you're calling from Dominica, 442-1211. That's a local number to call, 442-1211. If you're calling from overseas, 202-525-7231, 202-525-7231. You can also send us an email, radio at the dominican.net. And if you are online, you can reach us in our chat room on the dominican.net. Ambassador Gregoire, you know, it's a very fascinating, you know, discussion. And when I think of all of these things, I see, you know, the kinds of possibilities that exist, you know, for us in Dominica. And we need to find the first lady political will. Um, to actually get let those things happen and, and, and begin to move in that direction because the world, that's how the world is trending. And I think Dominica has a step ahead in the sense that we have already everything that a lot of the world craves. And it's, a, it's simply a matter of finding the resources, finding, having the political will to put all of that together and to allow us to move forward in a way that is sustainable. Of course, there are lots of, of benefits to be derived from that kind of approach. One of the major things, um, obviously, we would get rid of the high energy costs because you, you, you in fact, noted that Dominica is one of the highest um, in terms of cost of energy, in terms of, of the cost of not only of the, the diesel or the gas we use in our vehicles, but in terms of electricity, we pay the highest cost in Dominica, among the highest 
in the region. And of course, uh, something like uh, moving to those uh, alternative forms of energy will allow us the opportunity to have a lot to do, uh, quite a bit with regards to, you know, um, manufacturing, because a lot of, of uh, firms use a lot of, we can attract a lot of firms, for example, that use a lot of energy, like data processing firms and so on, where they would simply come to Dominica for cheap, for cheap energy. And of course, the added advantage of getting all of that exported. Yes. Well, well, Dr. Fontaine, what I would say is that I see um, cheap energy at the center of a new economy that we would create. You know, we've been struggling since the collapse of bananas to have a new economy, and the pillars of that has been wobbly, you know, it's been weak. We, we, we thought we would go from bananas to tourism. Uh, that, that has not really happened so well. I mean, you, you see what has happened with the cruise ship industry. I would say that if we, we, we seek to have a, an energy sector that, that um, drives everything else. So if we have, if we have cheap electricity, which um, certainly renewable energy would give us, and, and if it's driven by geothermal, we could reduce our cost of, of electricity to the consumer because right now we are paying um, about 40, 40 to 45 cents per kilowatt hour, which is one of the highest prices in the world. I mean, our, even Antigua, who doesn't have hydro and, like we do, they, they, their electricity cost is lower than ours. So we have to, we have to do that. And once we can, we can have cheap energy in the country, then we can attract uh, manufacturing that is clean and green, and um, we can create manufacturing jobs. We can get energy-intensive um, industries, like you're saying, like data storage um, companies for, for computer data, um, uh, companies that, that, that uh, manufacture, let's say, like aluminum products and, and make fine, final aluminum products. We could get them to to Dominica, and that would create um, a whole new um, arena of jobs for our, for our country and our people. Yes, and it's certainly something that I think as Dominicans, we, we definitely need to continue to work towards and continue to push forward. So, Ambassador, in your own view, I mean, where do you see the future? I mean, how um, are, you, are you hopeful that we will get to that place um, relatively quickly, or, or do you still see a, a, a whole lot of, of problems that needs to be overcome well i'm encouraged that 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 the government has moved um has given some priority to geothermal and we know, we know at that stage where we are drilling but the, the drilling um that we are doing i hope um i am not so knowledgeable now about what is being done but i hope that we are not drilling slim wells um there was some talk the other day that what government, what they were going to drill was slim wells. I would say that slim wells would not give us all the information we need to to do um, plant development. We better be doing full wells, and I hope that's not going to be a wasted exercise. I also have to say that I think the consultants who've been working on this geothermal program have not given us the best advice because we spent all these years focused on Wharton Waven, and now I'm, I'm understanding that we are moving the, the, um, the drilling to Loda, and I hope that's not going to give us additional, significant additional cost. However, just doing the drilling does not mean that we are there yet. We still have to develop a plant, 
and um, the the investment to do the plant is has its own challenges to raise, and and um, and what kind of ownership structure that comes with when we start plant development is going to be important for the Dominican people to understand very clearly. We want foreign investment in the geothermal, but we have to make sure that the Dominican people's resource is not frittered away, and we have to get the best deal. Personally, I believe that what, we, what, what would work well for Dominica is to have a situation where foreign companies come, they build, they build the, um, the plant, operate it, train Dominicans how to run it, and transfer it at a certain point. I think that model of a build-operate-transfer can work. And the ownership structure to make sure that Dominica owns at least 50% of that geothermal production. And so, so now the public now has to get focused on who's going to own all of this. Is it the Dominican people? And it has to be the Dominican people. You know, you've written a very important um issue there, Ambassador, and that is the question of ownership of that resource. Because from what I've been hearing, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't, I'm not necessarily encouraged, um, because it seems that we are setting ourselves up to give away um, quite a lot of the ownership of that resource. Well, I think it would be a mistake that we, we, we just give the ownership of the resource. And let me just say, too, and I'm going to be very blunt on this one. There was a license given to a company called West Indies Power in, in um, Sufria. I don't think that that was, that was a very good decision. Because first of all, West Indies Power does not have any track record building any geothermal plant. They don't have a track record of raising money. And I want the Dominican people to be very clear on this. This company, West Indies Power, is a new name but it's an old company which was recycled from the 1980s. Under Prime Minister Eugenia Charles, she had given a license to this man who owns West Indies Power. His name is Mr. Kerry McDonald. And he, he sat on that license for 20 years and did nothing. And then he comes back. When Pierre Charles decided he was going to move on geothermal, he comes back and says he has a license and he wants... And then he was given a license by the current administration. And it, that license, I don't think it was a transparent process. And I hope that they will tell us exactly what's involved, because I would not like to know that this company has exclusive rights to our, our resource. Right, but Ambassador, isn't there more to that as well? I, I, I was of the impression that the OES did quite a lot of work in helping to, to get this opened up and you know, to open up the process. And in the end, after all of that work that was done, it went back again to the same West Indies Power. Yeah, well, I don't know the details of West Indies Power. All I know is that it's a company that has no track record. They are working in Nevis. And uh, recently I see that Minister Blackmore went to visit there. I don't know what he went to visit, but I'll tell you one thing. If you want to see a geothermal plant, and work in geothermal. You just go to Guadeloupe right next door. If you want to get a detailed perspective on geothermal, you go to Iceland. Nevis has nothing to show. <laughs> and um, as far as I'm concerned, um, Kerry McDonald and his group are just giving the, the Nevis people a runaround. Um, 
And, you know, we, we also had self-serving behavior in Dominica around West Indies power, which I hope to one day will come to light. Well, I think it has already come to light to some extent, and we're all aware, you know, in some one of the charges that were filed by Mr. Emmanuel, you know, concerning the, the donation of, of a substantial sum of money by West Indies Power. But, but Ambassador Gregor, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I've been to Nevis. I mean, I worked, I worked in Nevis. Um, in fact, I was there for a few months ago, and uh, I found it rather curious myself that um, Dominica, with, with nine of the 16 volcanoes in the Caribbean, Caribbean, who choose to go to Nevis as a as a as a learning experience or, or to gain experience, and like you said, I mean they've built things stuff like that already in Guadeloupe and Martinique, and it seems to me that that we would learn a lot more from the French, and and, and it's just not clear to me, you know, what that signals. Well, let us just say that was a trip for the boys, and um, <laughs> they went to they went to visit Nevis, but I'll tell them one thing. If they should not waste their time with McDonald. He has no capacity to raise the kind of money required for um, for geothermal development. And we'll wait for another 20 years in Sufre and we'll see nothing. So he, that is his track record. I'm only talking about his track record. Miss Charles gave him a license. He did nothing for Dominica and he has come back again, fooled the government again, got another license. And um, But, but um, I had warned the government before that we shouldn't give any license before we have a geothermal law in place. A geothermal law was developed under the project, but it has never been brought to Parliament. Rather interesting. And, of course, again, um, we have only a few more minutes left, about 10 minutes left. Um, so if you would like to join the conversation, now would be a good time to do so. Calling from Dominica, you will want to dial 442-1211. That's a local Dominica number, 442-1211. You could also call us at 202-525-7231, 202-525-7231. If you're calling long distance, radio at dominican.net, and as well as our chat room on the dominican.net. These are all ways in which you can talk to Ambassador Gregoire. Which whom we will have for the next um, ten minutes or so, Ambassador. For the for the last um, for the next few minutes, probably it would be good to talk about another major in initiative that you you initiated um, before leaving the United Nations, and that is, and I find that to be extremely important and, and a sense of great actually for me a sense of great pride in what you know Dominican has been able to accomplish, and that is to uh, to let the UN observe an international day of remembrance for the victims of slavery and the transatlantic slave trade. And they have agreed to this, and the date is uh, 25th of March. So every year, that will be celebrated around the world. That will be an annual celebration. And you, as Dominica's ambassador to the UN, was very instrumental in getting this before the UN General Assembly, along with help from the ambassador of Jamaica. So you must be complimented on this, on, I think, a, a, great, a great day, certainly for those of us ancestors, or, or not ancestors, but descendants, rather, of this um, slave trade. And I understand that you're also working right now on, on having a permanent um, remembrance, a permanent place, like memorial. A, a, memorial a memorial for this yes. day as well? That's correct. Well, let me just give a little background, um, um, Dr. Fontaine. Um, in 2007, it was the, 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 the 200th anniversary of the abolition of the slave trade. And um, 
the the the, the Jamaican delegation and, and and myself as the, representing the Dominica delegation, we decided that that event should be observed, um, and we we got the UN. Um, we, we drafted a resolution which was adopted by consensus to have a commemoration of the UN um, in recognizing 200 years of the abolition of the slave trade. And that's important for all black people wherever they are in the world, especially those of us in the Americas who were the victims of slavery and the slave trade. And our ancestors, you know, they, they toiled and perished in the Middle Passage and all of that. And this, this is what I call the Holocaust of the black people, you know. We hear a lot about the Holocaust of the Jews, but the Holocaust of the black people, the genocide that was waged against the black people of who were taken um, by force of arms from Africa and brought to the Americas, this was a tragedy. This was the, a crime against humanity. And I felt, you know, that, we should make a stand, and we should use the United Nations, the bastion of human rights, to, to champion that. So we had the, the commemoration in 2007. And in 2007, we went, the African countries said, this should be an annual event, you know. And we passed a second resolution, so that, that first resolution was in 2006, for, the, for 2007. And in 2007, we passed another resolution to make, the, inter the, the UN International Day of Remembrance of the Victims of Slavery and the Transatlantic Slave Trade. And I, I found myself being the leader of that because then my counterpart, the Jamaican ambassador, had left. He had finished his tenure. And I carried this burden on my shoulders. But I'll tell you, this was a defining moment for me, and this is what has defined the next phase of my life, that I could make that contribution to the people of African descent in the Americas, on the African continent, in Europe, and wherever they are. And so this, from 2007, it has become an, an annual day. Um, and, you know, every year we celebrate it. So I've been involved in it with it from, from 2006 when we planned the 200th anniversary to now, where every year on March 25th, we celebrate the UN International Day. And there are a lot of activities at the UN related to this. Exhibitions, we bring in students from um, the US and we link them by satellite to, to um, students in different countries. So every year we pick a number of countries and these students can speak to each other about the slave trade, about slavery, what it means to them. And then um, in 2008, and eight, we decided to take a new, take the initiative one step further, to get the UN to agree. And when I say the UN, I'm talking about all the member states of the UN, of which there are 194, to agree by consensus that we'll have a permanent memorial for the victims of slavery and the slave trade. And I'm happy to say we are working on this. We've raised about a million dollars. I think we have to raise about five million dollars. I'm very involved this. I'm on the board of that initiative. And we are now um, working with everybody, black, white, Chinese, Indian, every race on this face of this world, to have a, finally a memorial to the people who toil in the Americas, building the Americas, building Dominica, building the, all the Caribbean countries, for not a penny. And today we, we 
only we, the CARICOM countries, could have led that. It became the initiative of the whole of CARICOM. Because, of course, we are a unique set of countries, the 14 African um, Caribbean countries. We are the 14 countries that come out of the slave trade tradition. And we are independent people. So we have to be proud of that. And I'm very proud that we have done all of this. Yes, certainly something to be proud of. Ambassador Gregor, let's take a very quick break and then we'll come back with a question from the from our listeners and we'll allow you to wrap up on this weekend interview. Yes. Hey, my name is Thompson Fountain. I would like to invite you to join me for Scrapbook. Scrapbook happens every Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. It's everything Dominican. We take a look at all the entertainment happening in Dominica. We look at sports, we look at activities, we interview personalities. It's all happening on Scrapbook. And this month is getting nearer. Every Saturday on your radio, 5 to 7 p.m. Join me, Thompson Fontaine, for Scrapbook. It is happening again this Saturday, so see you at 5 o'clock for another edition of Scrapbook, where any and everything goes. Okay, Ambassador Gregoire, we have just a couple minutes left, and we have one call, or actually a, a message coming through our radio at the Dominican.net email. And uh, listener, of course, it would not be a Dominican program without this question. And the question to you, Ambassador, is ask, I'm looking back, given your role in putting the Dominican Labour Party in power, in 2000 and 2005, do you have any regrets for having having done so? <laughs> well, that's surprising. That's, that's a very interesting question. I, I hope we would not have veered into the realm of politics, <laughs> but I, you know, being who I am, I will answer every question that's brought. Um, no, I don't. Um, I don't have any um, regrets. I, I have to say, however. The, the vision and direction that Comrade Rosie Douglas had and Comrade um, Pierre Charles had, I see a, de a, depart a departure from that. And that is what concerns me. So I, I wouldn't say I have a regret, but I would say that I don't like the direction that the Labour Party is taking now. I think the Labour Party has gone down a different road than what was envisioned by the by the founders, the visionaries, Mike Douglas, Rosie Douglas, and Pierre Charles. And I think that that direction that the Labour Party is going will lead to its destruction. And I want to say that I'm still a member of the Labour Party. Nobody can kick me out of the Labour Party because I built that Labour Party along with the visionaries, the, the stalwarts who died. But the, the current dispensation has too many contradictions that if not arrested and an about turn made, that country, that party will self-destruct in office. 
Okay, Ambassador, very well said. Let me thank you for a very entertaining hour of um, discussion. I'm sorry, for some reason, we think might have had some issues again with our lines, but we continue to work on those. Let me thank you for joining us for the full hour on the Dominican.net and along with Q95 for this week in interview. We'll be back again next week with a, a discussion on Carnival. So we hope you'll be able to join us for that at the same time, 8 o'clock Dominica time. So Ambassador, thank you very much for being with us and we look forward to talking to you again. I appreciate the opportunity, Dr. Fontaine. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, so here you have it. Let me thank all of you, our listeners, for joining us on this week in interview. I will again be on the radio on Saturday for, of course, for Scrapbook, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock Dominica time for Scrapbook. And next week, Wednesday, we'll be having a discussion on Carnival on this weekend interview. So for me, to all of you, let me say a very special good night and, of course, special thanks to our producer, uh, Mr. Sam George, who produces the, this program for us. It's very special thanks to him and to all the workers here at TDN Radio. Have a good night, and we'll talk to you next week.